Hello, hello, listeners to the Third Way podcast. I'm continually fascinated by the connections that are made. Um, many of the episodes that you are listening to in over the past probably five or six are people that were introduced to me by other people. And uh, when I put out a call for interesting people to interview and uh, or have a conversation with. And so this trend continues with my guest today, uh, Danielle Grant. Danielle is based in Canada and she is a, um, a conscious creator and a spiritual guide who shares her work through meditations, reflections, and experiences. And I've really enjoyed the content that she's put out on social media because it's a very, very crowded space. This whole conscious creator, spiritual guide space. It's a basically its own industry now. And it's hard to be original. And Danielle, I think you're original in what you're doing and what you're talking about. Cool. I really appreciate you saying that. Thank you. You're welcome. So welcome to the third way. And um, I'm curious about just your background for context. Like how did you how did you know you had these gifts? What what drew you to them? How long have you been doing what you're doing? Um, just to give context to the audience. Yeah, great question. I started to awaken to the concept of something more around the age of 14 after suicidal experience. And that really set me on a path of seeking personal development because that's where I thought I was getting answers. But at the same time I was in that space, I was picking up the odd Buddhist text. And that really got me onto the aspect of consciousness and enlightenment. And uh, about after 10 years of studying in that space, just for myself personally, I ended up in Thailand in a Buddhist temple with friends. And I immediately felt like I was home. Like it was the first time in my life I felt this resonance is where I'm supposed to be. And uh, from that point forward, I just became really obsessed with seeking that information in Canada through some Buddhist temples here and continued that journey. And uh, I always knew within me that I had something to offer the world in terms of like seeking more. And then I got let go from a corporate career, 10-year corporate career. And I just decided I'm going to go all in on myself, more on the mindset side. And I started coaching entrepreneurs. And I realized very quickly what I was coaching on was spiritual truth and consciousness and awakening. And so I decided to dissolve that company. And here we are now. And this is, I have a spiritual room. And now this is my mission is to bring this conversation forward. That's awesome. And you have an intriguing product or offering that I wanted to give you a little platform to talk about it because I'm curious about the journal playbook. Um, I, I think that's an an interesting take on an ancient practice. So what is what is that? What's it look like? Yeah, cool. I have it right here. I'll even just show you so I give you context. Uh, it's pretty cool, actually. You know, this was a really mm -hmm. divinely guided thing that came out of nowhere. But in my searching and seeking of consciousness and enlightenment, I found the common thread of self-reflection. And how in all of the things I was reading, it was reflections that people had written. And so I started practicing that for myself, this art of journaling, as we would call it. And um, I found a lot of healing in it and expansion in it. And so I started when I started pairing the understanding of what I was experiencing and what I was seeing in the trend of like people and the reflections and their moments of growth. Mm -hmm. That's when I started to realize it was something more powerful than just, you know, journaling. And mm -hmm. I grounded it in my work and mindset mentor. And I found that it was actually the number one tool that was creating the transformations for anybody I was working with, of course, because it's reflection and power of self. And uh, 
yeah, when I dissolved your mindset mentor and started the spiritual room, I realized quickly that I needed a tool that was mine that could support the transformation I was doing, which was turning inwards. And that's really where I found the journal playbook. But one thing I'll say on that is the playbook is every journal is like, you know, it's meant to reflect and that's how they're presented. But journaling really is a play. And it's a play that you get to play with yourself. And that's why I use that term of it being a journal playbook, because it's something to be played and your human wants to play it instead mm -hmm. of the st static ancient practice. So yeah, thanks for asking. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I started journaling probably about 10 years ago. Um, and it's it's probably been my most consistent practice, actually. Um, and, you know, there's no it's kind of like fitness, you know, there's no one way to do it. There's a lot of wrong ways to do, I suppose, but you know, uh, but I love, uh, it reminds me of something that maybe you've heard of called the journal, uh, called journal engine. Have you heard of okay. journal engine? No, I haven't. Well, they're out of Canada as well in Toronto, I think. And it's a coaching platform, but it, mm -hmm. it, it is doing everything off of journal entries rather than traditional like coaching calls. So, um, and I, I'm a big fan of the prompts as well that, you know, that get people going inward, as you said, and it's the, that Socratic method. It's the method of all the spiritual masters, you know, Jesus and Buddha in particular is to, is that this idea that you have the answer inside of you already. Mm -hmm. um, and I think one of the things that I like about what you're doing is you don't, you're not claiming that you have some secret. You're just you're, 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 you're taking, like I said, ancient principles and concepts and putting them in the form of contemporary context. I think that's an interesting thing um, that prevents the sort of crass monetization of what's free really inside of us with a little bit of guidance. So, um, so you mentioned, um, you know, uh, suicide attempt and you you're very open about your background with childhood sexual abuse and depression and um, I am very open about my I didn't have sexual abuse it was the only uh, unless you consider religious abuse a sort of sexual abuse but uh, sexuality abuse let's say but so in that spirit of vulnerability and openness and everything is kind of what led me to want to talk with you about about the topic for today, which is around self-love. And this feels to me like we hear a lot about self-care and we hear a lot about like loving yourself, but it's not a lot that I could find of really like useful content or discussions out there about what self-love is. And I thought based off of your background and your wisdom and the spiritual gifts you have and your real world experiences, I thought that would be a good place to have a good, have a conversation today. I love it. Let's do it. Cause you're right. That is my story at the foundation is this seeking of self-love. Right. Same on a daily basis. So we may, we may see tears and that's okay. So <laughs> self-love is a very gentle topic. I saw a, a reel where it says after the inner child, you, it comes out, then the inner teenager comes out and she's fucking pissed. <laughs> Like, it's oh, true. That resonates with me too. Yeah. So the first question for us to both answer related to self-love is how do we, how does someone deter, discern between self-love and let's say self-absorption? Sometimes what's 
kind of too casually called narcissism and narcissistic personality disorder is its own a diagnosis, but we use a loose term of narcissism around self-absorption. So how does someone discern that? How does someone discern like, okay, this is self-love or I'm just way too into myself in unhealthy ways? I think a lot of this conversation comes down to awareness of your environment. If somebody truly wants to discern between that, between these two things, I think it really comes down to your environment because Mm -hmm. if you're someone that you genuinely love yourself and you love things about yourself and you find gratitude in your day, you would notice your environment to be somewhat positive and expansive and like good things happening to you and just, you know, it's high vibe. Someone who is more self-absorbed would recognize an environment that's more negative and like things are never working out and like all these limitations or roadblocks. So I think the first part is to ask self, like, where am I? And what is my environment more positive or negative? And then I think the next part of this conversation though is, is really rooted in I am presence because this conversation of self-absorption and narcissism is really about us sitting in the ego aspect of self. And the ego aspect of self is all about me and look at me and I'm all almighty and hierarchy and stuff like that. That's the human existence, the ego self. But then the other part of that is the higher self, the conscious self, which is all about, I love myself enough to show up and do the work for myself. Mm -hmm. So that really is another part of understanding, like what part of my, I am presence. And for some people, this is the first time that they might be hearing about it, but what part of my, I am presence am I sitting within? Because if I'm sitting in the competitive and the judgmental uh, low vibe aspect of self, I'm most likely sitting in self-absorption. And that's how you can discern that. Whereas if I'm in the other side of I'm taking time to sit and reflect, or I'm taking time to go to the gym, or I'm taking time to do these things, you're sitting in more of a higher self aspect. Mm. So that would be, you know, the first place is just what can you see within your surroundings and within yourself that is indicating to you if you're sitting more in the ego self or the higher self of self. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I map that out too with higher self, lower self, masculine and feminine, kind of a quadrant. So that like the higher self masculine is protective, the higher self feminine is creative, the lower self masculine is controlling, and the lower self feminine is pleasing. So you can kind of map out where you're at. Um, I always think about who benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, who benefits from this? So if self-love, you benefit and everybody around you benefits. Self-absorption, only you benefit. Mm-hmm. typically. And mm-hmm. um, the second thing I look into that I would say to, to folks is consider considering this discerning because the question comes from this is that, you know, I use the term self-love a lot and people say it feels selfish. It feels selfish to do that. And um, well, in some ways it is, but not necessarily in a bad way, you know, as um, the, the higher self feminine because it's creative is selfish, but in a very higher self way, mm-hmm. um, it is, it is about serving the queen as it, as it were. Um, and so, yeah, it might feel selfish, but that doesn't make it wrong. Um, so I think part of this then is around also identity and, and, and I it's playing off of what you said. I think there's an I and there's a me. So the I is the original self. Thomas More and Carl Jung and you know all talked about the original self, original you. And then there's me, and that's the social construct or the, what I call the hologram. And there is no higher self me. There's a more ethical version of me. There is a charming version of me, but there's no higher self me. There's only a higher self I. 
Mm-hmm. And so when I think about self-absorption is feeding, it's, it's feeding the higher, the lower self me, or even the higher, the, you know, the, 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 yeah, it's, it's feeding the me, it's feeding the hologram. It, and I, I see myself doing this is that what I'm well, sometimes I'm doing things, I, I, I come up sh- shorter, I have some self-awareness now that I do things because I have this image of being, you know, the heretic, the, 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 the super authentic, super blunt, you know, thought leader, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I'm doing things along those lines because it makes me feel good about myself as opposed to it makes me feel good. And those are two very different things, very different intentions. I would compare it to like nutrition or porn, you know, Mm -hmm. is is it feels good, like to eat clean feels good. And, and, but then um, other things feel like just, they're just pleasure receptor loading, you know? And I think that's another sign of self-absorption is like, what part of you is it feeding? Mm-hmm. So, I like what you were saying there about the lower self and the higher self, but in the quadrants that you were giving them in terms of the masculine and feminine energy, because that's like another really good way to look at it. You know, that masculine energy feels traditionally more harsher or intense or more dense, whereas the, the feminine energy feels lighter and you know, calmer. And that's like, again, going back to what is your environment showing you? Because your environment is energy and it's always dictating to you and showing you, you know, are you making it be too much about you? Because you'll feel it. And I think that's the biggest thing I would say is like, you can tell when you are in that self-absorption, you know, like you actually know. Yeah, you're right. You do know. (laughs) Yeah. That's a really good point. It's like the nuances is only there if you're trying to justify it. You know, it's like, and and here's again, it's not around, even around judgment. Sometimes we want to be self-absorbed. Sometimes we want to lay on the couch and, you know, binge watch, you know, Chef's Table on Netflix or whatever. You know, that's fine. It's 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 uh, it's but it's it's the intention. Being clear about the intention, I think that's a huge huge thing here. Um, I think a lot of people get that's where they get hung up on those. So kind of a follow up to that is. I'm sure you've heard something similar with self-love where people assume that it's a type of selfishness. And what do you say to, to folks that are maybe uncomfortable with the idea of self-love? What are some words of encouragement that you're reminders that you give them? I try to bring awareness to the situation for somebody in a way so they can see it. Meaning that I'll say to them, if they'll say like, Hey, and honestly, I experienced this all the time when I started my business, because you become so selfish in your time that people are like, you're so selfish. And meanwhile, I'm like, no, I'm really chasing my dreams and desires. But what I would bring awareness around is have you ever been so selfish that you became a better person and that impacted people around you? Mm-hmm. Because when you actually make the decision to move away from this idea of being self-absorbed and actually like, I want to be a better version of myself, even if that means taking five or a night off to watch Netflix to recharge, that's fine. When you step into that space, you experience what it's like to impact other people around you through that selfish move that's perceived as being selfish. Like, how dare you? That's selfish. And like, your family wants to hang out with you. Mm-hmm. And it all it almost always stops them. Like, what do you mean? And it's like, exactly what do you mean? And that all I find opens the opportunity to be like, actually, when you do become a better version of yourself and you do put yourself at the priority seat, other people around you become better. And it almost engages in a different conversation. So I'm glad you asked that question because 
you know, it really is all about bringing awareness as to why that person thinks that we're being so selfish. Yeah. And I also think that this is the importance of conscious relationships, both in our, you know, intimate person, you know, intimate marriage or, or, you know, primary relationship in our families and our, and our, our team members, if we're part of a team is if, if people are benefiting from you being self-absorbed, which happens, there's a whole lot of, you know, people that are sycophants and, you know, coattailers that benefit from the, from self-absorbed entire industries are built on that. That's what really the celebrity culture is about mm-hmm. to a large extent. Um, but if people are benefiting, benefiting from that, and then you begin to awaken and start to change, they're going to, com- they're going to, com- they're going to mistake you establishing boundaries for selfishness. That's another consistent thing. And boundaries are to protect you to be available, not to protect you to, to close off. They're not, it's not a wall. Yeah. It's a boundary. And I think it's maybe outside of stillness and quiet time alone, having boundaries may be the greatest gift to yourself. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And again, we live in a, a culture in the United States in, in North America or in, in Canada to, to a large extent of sort of a consumptive culture. So that if you're, if you're not, producing and consuming then somehow you're selfish you know um yeah. i think that's more so in the u.s than canada but <laughs> you just said something there though you know and i think another one of this in the root of this conversation when people come up to people that say like oh you're being selfish how dare you or like why do you have boundaries those are the people that don't give themselves permission to love themselves because that's the key mm-hmm. and once yeah. you give yourself to permission to love yourself you no longer see it as someone being selfish so that's what a part of it too is like, are you giving yourself permission to love yourself or are you just denying yourself that and then yeah. projecting that? Yeah. Especially if you're back to what you said about conditions, if you're the structures you've created and, and the, the, the systems that you've created are based off of you not loving yourself. Um, and therefore to give that up is to then give up the security, the perceived security. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is, this this is a common that's a common ailment in in society where we're doing things that we don't want to do because it produces some level of security but it's not self it's not self love so and interestingly is that it's it's you know being a having a victim mindset is its own kind of narcissism too you know that's totally. the the line from the Waylon Jennings and Willie Nelson song from the seventies, um, they have the Cowboys have their own brand of misery. Okay. Um, yeah. And so that's that idea is like, okay, I'm, 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 it's the martyr mindset, which is, I am so special. I'm dying for you. And that's why I have, I can't be so, I, you must be nice for you to be selfish because I am serving I'm serving humanity. We see this a lot in nonprofits, you know, the, mm-hmm. that martyr complex. So awesome. Well, this is a lead in to um, something that you, you talked about at the beginning a little bit, and this is this, this balancing or harmonizing the, the, between the acceptance of flaws and the commitment to growth. So there's this sort of self-love thing as I love myself as I am. Jordan Peterson talks about this is like, you know, that's not necessarily a good thing. Mm-hmm. There's things, you know, you, we need some motivation to change because pain is evolutionary. And 
at the same time, we don't want to operate from self-loathing, you know, where we, where we think, as I, I wrote an essay about this a few weeks ago called piece of shit doctrine, where we've been convinced by society and churches in particular that we're pieces, pieces of shit. So that's the question, Danielle, is how do you harmonize or balance between acceptance of flaws and commitment to growth? Yeah, good question. I think the first place I start with that too is just expanding those words because a lot of um a lot of what we're talking about here in like self-love and and like being selfish and stuff comes down to the words that we use and how we talk about ourselves. So even like saying uh balancing the acceptance of flaws and a commitment to growth, accepting our flaws feels like we had to like surrender to something that was less than that's how the ego interprets it so i would even go as far as stretching it that it's not accepting our flaws but it's accepting our lessons of evolution exactly like you said that in order for us to evolve we need something that creates the catalyst to be the evolution so it really is about accepting our lessons and the commitment to the growth is that when you accept those lessons you fuel the growth of the evolution and so instead of us sitting in this place of like i have this flaw like um you know, I'll just use myself as an example. I have a flaw that I'm overweight and that I'm, you know, I'm not like everybody else. And I've, I work out all the time and that this, this is really my story. I work out all the time and I'm never going to be like anybody, right? If I accepted that that was a flaw, then my ego would almost feel of a surrender where if I was like, I'm going to accept that I am this person, but I also don't have to be this person. That's what creates the commitment to the growth is I accept that this is what is, but I don't have, this doesn't have to be what is. And that's where the commitment to growth shows up. But when we go to say, like, I'm going to commit to something in society, it feels intense because we're always committing to things, New Year's resolutions, all this. So it's actually quite distorted. So if you move the term commitment and you're like, yeah, I'm going to fuel this or I'm going to align with this, it's easier. And just like I wanted to point that out, just a simple dialogue, because our lessons and our flaws are our moments of evolution and growth. Those right. are where they're found. That's There's no like other way around it. Yeah, those are the evol evolutionary or iterative points of transformation. Um, and I intentionally use the term flaws because I'm trying to, I hear what you're saying, first of all, but I'm trying to normalize the fact that we have flaws. And that perfection, well, I'll put it this way, all comparison is of the ego. Now, some of it's necessary, you know, if there's limited resources or, you know, we have to you know, some of it's, it's a survival mechanism, let's put it that way, that's been co-opted by modern society to compare ourselves to our, to, you know, to social conditioning of body types, using your example. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think I, this is the third way aspect of this. I think it's both is, is the acceptance of flaws. That's like, okay, I lack discipline in certain areas, but what's the bigger picture? So I'm impulsive. Well, I'm impulsive because I have ADHD. What's the, what's the positive side of that is that I'm a multi-thinker and I can see patterns faster than most people. And it doesn't mean that, so, so it kind of goes to what Brene Brown said about feelings. Is you, can't, you can either feel everything or nothing. You don't get to choose your, what you feel and don't feel. And so it's this seeing ourselves as um, flawed in, in, as a form of beauty. Mm -hmm. that's the key to it to me is that, okay, I am beautiful and I am, I love the way I am now. And I have a vision of where I want to go. And, and I think this is that kind of stilling the pendulum between despair and delusion. 
too. Mm-hmm. You know, like the delusion of that I'm gonna, you know, I'm I think of um Uncle Rico in the movie Napoleon Dynamite, you know, where you know, 10 years after the he graduated from high school, he was still talking about he should have won state. You know, like <laughs> yeah. that's yeah. delusion, that's not real, or um, I'm gonna win the lottery, or I'm gonna meet a person. And they're going to change, they're going to be my person. I'll be happy then, you know, those type of things. Those are all delusional. And they're related to the fact that you cannot be content with where you are right now. Um, the apostle Paul said that he's, he had learned to be content no matter what condition he was in. Mm-hmm. I think that's, I'm not there yet, but I'm moving towards that, um, that, that place. And um I love this idea too of tension or friction between the ego and the soul. So that we're recording this on the 20, 20th of 21st or 20th, whatever. 20th of March. 20th <laughs> yeah. of March. So I posted a musing this morning um, that showed this, what I call the friction zone between the soul and the ego, which is that space where growth comes from. So the very act of accepting that you're not perfect you, and you do have flaws or weaknesses or whatever you want to call them without any judgment, and you have a soul that is powerful beyond measure, it's the marriage of those two things that leads to growth, leads mm-hmm. to creativity, leads to abundance. Yeah, and I think that's also the same place that people find themselves in the self-love conversation. Because they start to love themselves enough to recognize, I don't want to be this self-absorbed person. But then there's that tension of, do they really want to commit to being the greater version of themselves? I really like what you said there, because that's kind of where I was going, is I was hoping you would expand on that for why you use the term flaws so that people could hear, you know, it's mm-hmm. healthy to hear in our subconscious mind, different ideas of what flaws mean, because it really is just an imperfections in who we are. You know, if I were someone to look at this too, I would ground it in. I'm learning to love every aspect of myself, right? Every aspect. And anytime I find myself loving that aspect, I go in and say, well, how can I love this? Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think it's completely okay to judge, if you will, your behavior, your own behavior. It's like, Oh, I don't, I don't, you know, when I eat ice cream, I get sad. I mean, I mean it feels good for a little bit and, you know, or if I stay up too late or I don't meditate or I don't journal, I don't like the way it makes me feel. And, and, and so I think that's another nuance here of looking at like judge the hell out of your behaviors. If you want, just not your worth, mm-hmm. you know, um, not and and even then examine your intention. I, 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 I'm a big fan of the book existential kink, which I don't know if you've read that book, but I highly recommend it. Looking up, look, look at this idea that we even hold on to painful things because at some point in our, someplace in our psyche, we derive pleasure from them. And I think this is a kind of, like you said, an extension of self-love is like, yeah, there's certain behaviors I have that are not healthy. And I acknowledge that. And underneath it is they're probably attention seeking, or they probably are safety seeking. There's some good reason why I'm holding on to them because I'm deriving some benefit from it. Otherwise, like I don't remember who said it originally or the original quote, but if 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 we could learn about consciousness from a book, we would all be millionaires with nice abs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, because that's what we'd want to in quote manifest, because that's the mindset that it's kind of like the growth hacker people that I like to make fun of. It's it's like 
you're already awesome the way you are. You don't need a 10 X your way to awesomeness. Yeah. That's why I gently challenge the idea of a, the, the best version of myself, that, that phrasing, I challenge that it's like, or full potential. There is no full potential. It's the universe. There's no end to it. It's just what, what are you making today? That's original. That's, that's the yeah. full, there's your full potential. What am I making today? That's original. So. Yeah. I like that. That goes hand in hand with self-love. You, you have to have self-love to create something that has potential for that day, mm. for that moment. Cause if you don't, you doubt yourself and you're unworthy and I'm, I'm nervous and I'm procrastinating, but when you love yeah. yourself, you're in co-creation with source and it's, it's mm. bliss. I never thought about that way. That's true. Hmm. Well, this kind of leads ends with uh, some pragmatic, not, not that uh, this was a very pragmatic conversation. So I didn't <laughs> say that, but some practical tips on like, how would you recommend someone starting a self-love practice? Because to me, it is a practice. It's not a formula. It's not a bullet list. It's not a recipe. It's a practice. So what are some starting points that you would recommend? Yeah. I mean, good question. I think the first starting point is to forgive yourself for any practice you've ever started before that didn't work for you, because if you don't move over that, it's not going to work. So, you know, having an honest conversation with self of self, you know, and being like, Hey, like those things didn't work before and it's okay. And those don't define you as the first place to start. The second place I would start is how can you bring more awareness to your thoughts and how you talk to yourself? Because we think of self-care like it needs to be journaling or meditating or affirmations or mirror work or all these things or connecting in nature, but it's really about, you know, a conversation with self. And so becoming aware to how you speak to yourself, I think is a really big place to start of self-love because if you're writing gratitude, but inside you're telling yourself how terrible you are and you're like writing in your gratitude journal for self-love or (laughs) self-care, it doesn't matter, right? So having that, you know, like one forgiveness to self-awareness of just like, how are you speaking to yourself? Are you loving yourself? Are you really beating yourself down? And then the third thing would be is just start putting pen to paper about what your thoughts are for the day. You know, what were the top five thoughts you had of your day? And that's self-love because that's you showing up to an aspect of you that's wanting to evolve and grow. And that Mm -hmm. takes effort. And that is the next level of self. And that is self-love. It doesn't need to be anything more than that. It's showing up for yourself in a moment to be like, where am I? What is going on? And can I reflect in whatever capacity that that looks like? So that's really how I would start basic, basic level. Yeah, that's super, that's super helpful. I would add to that. And I think this is an additive. And so between the two of us, we've got a nice practice for people here. I would add a couple. One is, um, you know, just like with a, when you're practicing sort of healthy, healthy eating or clean, clean eating, they recommend, you know, a food log. And you, so you talked about like, like the, the way you talk to yourself. That's one side of the food log. The other one is the way you allow other people to talk to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, and where you find yourself diminishing or shrinking, like note those areas because shrinking and diminishment is the opposite of self-love. It's reinforcing to your, the ego, the ego's belief that you're a piece of shit and therefore you're not worthy of respect or dignity. Um, and I, I think that Paying close attention to that is essential. Um, I think another one is um, examining who you want to be that you are not. You are not yet there, and mm-hmm. just being honest about it is and and you know again within reason of like what do you what are you capable of, 
Um, and because wherever we can look at justifications and excuses, we can look at block things that block us from self-love. Because if it was, if if we didn't, if if it really was about loving ourselves, we would let nothing get in our way, especially our, our own bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the, there's the most common phrase of that is like self-limiting beliefs and and things like that. But I think it's it's really practical. It's it's what are you? What am I? What do I want to be that I'm not yet? And the other. The other one, the other thing is, especially if you're a childhood trauma survivor, is you have to reparent yourself. Nobody else can do it. Your therapist can't do it. Your partner can't do it. Your minister can't do it. Your spiritual guru can't do it. You have to reparent yourself. And so setting aside time to give that inner child a place to sit and cry and share and create um, the healing that will come from that will grow into loving the adult version of your true self as well. And I would bluntly say that it's impossible to love your current you if you don't go back and relove the child that didn't get the love that it that she or he deserved. And that's hard fucking work to do that. That kind of like reparenting is hard. Um but the tools that you talked about, meditation, you know, mindfulness, breath work, journaling. Um, and if you're called by plant medicine, go that route. Sure. Whatever is, is it's, it, it is your own commitment though, to, to, to do that role of, of reparenting um, as to me, the starting point for all of for this, for self-love, because you're trying to get to where you are today to love this you. So. That's my take on it. Yeah, I love it. I mean, we basically just went through what the outline of the playbook. That's exactly oh, what it is, including <laughs> like including trackers in it, because it does have to be a part of it, you know, and yeah. and getting into your past and looking at the things that you're holding on to and, you know, yeah, awakening that childhood version. So I love what you said there. But I think that's, yeah, that's a scariest place for people. And I think yeah. that's why a lot of people don't go into self-love because they're like, I don't want to go there. So then they don't do any self-love. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, it's axiological in its structure. There's, you know, self-love is intrinsic, extrinsic, and systemic. And intrinsic is around like your values and what do you believe in and who are you as in your identity and your core self. And then extrinsic are your conditions and systemic is how you live your life, your behaviors. And I think that we have the power to change all of those things. Um, and I think we actually become dangerous when we can change those things dangerous in a good way. So that's why there's so much suppression on it. That's why it's so hard. That's why it's so hard. Right. It's not Yes, exactly. Well, thank you for the work that you're doing out there. Um, I will post, or I will share in the show notes, your website, um, the links to the, the, the playbook and your Instagram feed. And um, thank you for bringing such, bringing such thoughtful insight to the conversation. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Justin. I really appreciated our conversation today. Awesome.